Good morning. God is good. You know, we had as uh, Pastor Dave, also known as my dad, uh, came back from his mission trip. Uh, you know, he mentioned that we lost some folks. And uh, one of those people who we lost was Judy Horstead. And I watched this morning as a husband who lost his wife this week praised God with all he had. That's the difference. It's the difference between us and the world is that even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of pain, if we've been in the Lord long enough, we've learned that he is good and he works things together for good. That's an amazing thing to see. Um, I don't know. I can only pray that if I was to go through something like that, I could also still pour my heart out to God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we remember Judy, uh, our friend Ida Rowe, uh, the people who we've lost recently. Uh, and we remember that we're looking forward to the time when all of us were made new. So let's pray. Father, I just ask that you be with us this morning as we read your word and study it. God, this is a church, as you know, that wants to be faithful to you in studying the scripture. God, you've given us your word. We have it. Uh, what an incredible gift, Lord, we thank you for. Please don't let us take it for granted, because the idea of living without it, I, we could not do so. I could not live without your word, Lord. Couldn't make it another day without your promises. Couldn't make it another day without knowing how the story ends or starts for us. Jesus, we love you. Be with us today. Be with the families who are hurting. Be with those who are here for the first time that they might feel welcome, that they might feel the hospitality of Christ's church. Be with those who are online. Be with anyone who doesn't know you today, Lord. I pray you draw them. Holy Spirit, just please do your work. You are good. In your name, amen. When I was five years old, which is a little while ago, I went to kindergarten, which is actually a German word, um, meaning introduction to the next 12 years of being incredibly awkward around your peers. Um, it's not what it means. It's two words. It means children and garden, but my thing is better and probably more precise. Um, now, I like school in general. I was uh, taught in kindergarten a number of things, how to tie my shoes, how to read, uh, how to memorize my address so that people could send me bills for the rest of my life. Uh, they get you early with that. You know, if I didn't know it, they wouldn't know where to send them. Um, what I had not learned very well at that time was how to know when I needed to stop holding it and just go on to the restroom. Uh, when the time to play was needed to take a pause and I needed to take care of some business. Um, my lack of bladder control became a problem one fateful day, and I think it was 1982 or 83. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I was pretty young at the time. Um, but I gambled with holding it for too long. Didn't make it. Gambled, and I lost, folks. The unfortunate happened. I wet my pants, and I wet them real good. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those, like, I sneezed and there was a little something came out. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's not what especially if you've been pregnant and had kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I've just had enough ladies say that. Like, oh, I think I just peed a little. I'm like, 
<laughs> the pain of sin in the world, you know. Um, no, I wet him real good. Like the whole thing, you know, the whole thing was going on. Um, I wet him. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. You're probably better off if you're going to wet your pants doing it like in high school. And that may sound strange to you, but in high school, you could like grab your backpack and kind of casually just sort of hold it in front. And like just saunter off, wander off to your car, go home, change, nobody knows, right? No problem. In kindergarten class, apparently, this was a common enough issue, wetting people's pants, that the teacher kept an extra pair of jean shorts available for just such occasions. Now here's the unfortunate thing. Everyone knew what the jean shorts looked like. <laughs> right? They, they knew what the jean shorts meant. There wasn't any confusion about it. They see somewhere in the jean shorts, pee pants boy. That's what you got going on. So you didn't want to be the jean shorts boy. You didn't want to be the jean shorts girl because it's hard to convince a bunch of five-year-olds that no, 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 I didn't wet my pants. That's not the thing. I just thought that these ill-fitting, you know, huggers of my, you know, Daisy Dukes would be the thing that I wanted to wear for the rest of the day, so I just asked if I could borrow the pee pants. Not gonna work. They know you peed, right? It's, it's a whole thing. And so you're instantly separated, right? You're separated from the crowd, not because you're the coolest kid in class, but because you're pee pants boy. That's why you get separated in that scenario. That's all I had for today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Pee pants boy. Um, look, nobody likes to be singled out, right? Especially for peeing your pants. Uh, but I was separated that day. I was a jean shorts kid. And uh, it was not my favorite. I didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, not all separation is necessarily a bad thing. You can be separated kind of from the crowd to something negative or to something positive. You can be separated from the crowd as a thoughtful, wise person. Or you could be separated from the crowd as the opposite. An Oregon Ducks fan. Yeah. Just kidding. New people, I, it's not a thing. I, you're fine. Do what you want to do. You can be a sinner. Anyway, um, we were, <laughs> the problem is uh, my guy back with the slides is an Oregon Ducks fan. He's going to mess everything up for me now. But no, I'm kidding. It's wonderful. You keep doing it. It's fine. You live in Washington. It's fine. Nobody knows. It's, not, it's fine. We went through a whole series called Identity recently uh, where we studied things... <laughs> I told you. For those of you online, you probably can't see the top of the screen. It says, go ducks. Um, and this is just, you know, an opportunity for all of us to exercise grace. Um, all right, Lynn, you're fired. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Uh, listen, we went through a whole series called Identity. We study the things that make us unique as human beings, unique as Christ followers, uh, and and kind of understand a little bit how we're separated from the world, from the crowd as Christ followers, and we are called to good works for his kingdom. Like we got that. Hopefully, if you were there for the 11 weeks or whatever of identity, you kind of got that. But now we're working through a study in the book of Romans in the Bible. And today, Lord willing, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write about separateness and calling. So grab your Bible if you have it with you today. I do really highly recommend that as we go through Romans that you have your Bible, the one that you read. Uh, some of you don't. Some of you read it on a phone or you read it on a tablet. I, I, that's fine. 
But if you have a paper Bible that you read, I recommend that you bring it. I even bring maybe a notepad. might be worthwhile because what you want, part of the point of what we do here when we go through these Bible uh, books is that you want to be able to come back to them later in life and have already a foundation. And so if you keep notes and you keep them somewhere and you mark these, these are my Romans notes, the next time you go through Romans to read it, you'll have that to go back. So I highly recommend that you do that. But uh, grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's, there's Bibles in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those. Please don't write in those ones unless you don't have one at home and you're going to take one of those home with you, which you're allowed to do. That's free to you if you do not have a Bible at home. So take one of those and feel free to write in it. Let's get into it. Last week we studied Romans 1.1, or part of it. This is the part we studied. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. That's how far we got last week. Um, which, listen, we got, we got into it, right? We had to talk about what, what it meant, what, what was meant by bondservant. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that word. There's a reason for it. So he went through that. And then apostle, what does it mean to be an apostle? How was Paul called as an apostle? So we kind of walked through that. That's what we focused our study on. But I want to continue with the rest of verse 1 and a little more. Um, but before we do, I need you to see sort of how we're going to do this section together. So what we're doing here, because you're going to, you might be a little confused by it, so I want to, uh, I want to kind of set it up. We're going, to, we're going to get through the end of verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verses 5 through 7, because those are connected to one another. Okay, And then, Lord willing, when we get to the next thing we're going to talk about, at the end of verse 1, he talks about the gospel of God. And the gospel is like a huge portion of what's going on in Romans. And in the first chapter, we basically have uh, the verses 2 through 4, and then we have 14 through 17, which we're going to kind of put together also. And then this other section here where he talks about coming to Rome and so on. It's a different section. So we're going to do it, but it's not all going to go straight in order because I want to connect the things that are connected. It's, it's important to me that you can put your strings through, you know, your little conspiracy theory strings through all the places that go in the book of Romans so that you get it. You get what he's saying. So the two things that are together here are this, a couple of words in verse 1 that connect to some stuff in verses 5 through 7 and then to a couple other places in the book of Romans that are extremely important. So I just, I'm setting you up so you know why I'm jumping around. Um, Let's start Romans 1.1. If you have a pencil or a pen or whatever and you have your Bible, here's what I recommend doing. Circle the whole verse of Romans 1. Have that thing circled. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Then go down to verses 5 through 7 and circle th that, those verses kind of as a group. Then take a line and put those two things together. You can put little arrows on both sides. You can make a swirly, however you want to do that. Or if you have highlighters, use different colors like Colt Milton. You could do one color and then one color for those so you know they're together. Okay. Um, and then within that, I'm going to recommend that you circle something. The word called. Okay. The word called in verse 1, in verse 6, and in verse 7. Let's walk through it. Verse 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Then let's go to verse 5. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called. You might want to circle the and called if you want to. Of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so you have 
these three sections, you have the word called. It's the same Greek word that's used in these places. There's more than one Greek word for, for called. There's different kinds of being called, right? You can be called to something. You can be called like, hey, come over here. That could be a way you're called. Um, there's some connections to those two things. But this word called, we're going to see four times in the book of Romans, and you've just seen three of them. You've seen three of them. The next one, if you'll flip some pages, is actually in Romans 8.28. So if you want to flip there, give you a second, because you're going to do some more circling. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, same word, according to his purpose. It's important that you see verse 1, 6, and 7, and Romans 8, 28. Those are the four places where that word called is used in the book of Romans. Okay, the four places. This is what it means. This is from the outline of biblical usage. Called, invited like to a banquet, or invited by God in the proclamation of the gospel to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom through Christ, or called to the discharge of some office, or called to some office, divinely selected and appointed. I'd focus on that last one the most. You're called, you have been chosen by God and appointed for good works. You are called, you are in a special group. You are in a special group that's been separated out. Now, here's one more use of that word. It's not the same exact word, but it's from the same root. So it's connected. It's connected. Romans 11.29. So hopefully you circled called in Romans 8.28. Now go to Romans 11.29. Romans 8.28 had the word called in it. And then now we're going to Romans 11.29, and it says this. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's kind of a tough word. Irrevocable. They're irrevocable. Okay, we'll talk about what that means in a minute. Circle the word calling, and then if you can, in the margins, write verses 1, 1, 1, 6, 1, 7, and 8, 28, so that you know that that refers to those other verses, because that's from the same root, and it's connecting those verses on calling. Now, let's walk through it. Let's work it. We're going to follow the logic of the argument. It's woven through the book of Romans, about who we are in Christ. Okay, that's, that's what we're focused on today. So first we have first one, Paul is referring to himself and his own calling. Okay, so he starts out with his calling. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. When you're called, by virtue of being called, you are separated from those who are not called, Right? You, you have, you, there's a separateness. So he's called, separated to the gospel of God. We're going to, Lord willing, get into the gospel of God and what that means. Because a little later in this chapter, he's going to talk about not being ashamed of the gospel for its power of God. Okay, and that's incredible, amazing stuff that, that weaves through the whole book of Romans. But right now, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Then in verses 5 through 7, through him, Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship, this time, apostleship talking about the fact that we're set apart to go do something, right? We talked about capital A apostle and small a apostle. You got to go watch last week's for that. For obedience to the faith, kind of an important thing, obedience, among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So I'm called, he says, and then just a little bit later, he says, and you're called of Jesus Christ. He's putting you in the same category as him with the same word. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, who's he talking to in Rome? Well, we talked a couple weeks ago 
about the, the church being kind of started with, with Jewish believers. They all got kicked out by Claudius, the emperor, and then it was mostly Gentile believers, and the Jewish believers came back, and here he doesn't make a distinction. All in Rome, beloved of God, all those called to be saints, saints, holy. That's what the word is there, holy. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not holy. You, from what I've seen, are not holy. Our holiness is connected to our calling. Our holiness comes because Jesus is holy. Okay, So when we're called saints, we are literally being connected with the righteousness of Christ. So that's what he's saying. You have been called to be saints. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which by itself is an amazing thing. Now, here we see that the churches in Rome, and by extension, all Christ followers, you, me, everyone who's followed Christ, are his body, his called body, the church. In Greek, the word ekklesia, okay? It means the called out of Jesus Christ. So whenever you see the word church in the scripture, normally that's the Greek word that's used, and it means the called out. The called out. This, this idea of calling is incredibly important. We have sainthood. You know, you've heard of like saints like in the Catholic Church, right? Like they saint somebody. They got to do a couple miracles and they got to, you know, there's, there's some criteria for it. I, you know, I don't know what it all is, not being Catholic, but that's its own thing. Okay, let's forget about that for a minute. You are referred to as saints if you were in Christ. You are referred to as holy, meaning you're referred to as having the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. And we have that holiness by his gift of grace, by his death on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead. Okay? Then, once we know that, we know that we've been called in Jesus Christ, we've been called to be saints with his righteousness, then we can go to the next verse that says it, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, we know, like Paul knew, as the Holy Spirit knew and inspired him to write, that for those of us in Christ, the called God will in fact work everything out for good for us. Now, I've, I've, I've quoted that verse a lot because it's an important verse to me because I need it. Because <laughs> I need it. Because I got to face stuff just like you got to face stuff. I got to face my own sin. I got to face all the difficult things in the world. And I need to know that God is faithful in this way, that he's going to work all things out for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. And he promises that. Those he calls, he promises to work all things out for good. Now, that means a few things. It means nothing will happen to you that he will not work together for good. Some of you can probably think, well, there's some pretty horrible things that have happened to me. And they made me do that because the mic was doing this thing. I wasn't just like, hey, just so you know. All right. Hey. Um, you may think there's some pretty terrible things that have happened to you, and there, and there probably are. And yet, he promises that he will work all things together for good. Everything. No pain, no suffering, 
no difficulty, nothing will happen to you, around you, to anyone you know, that God will not work together for good in his plan. It's hard to imagine sometimes because we can't always see it, but this is why we have an eternal perspective. This is why we have hope. This is why David Horstead can worship God this morning because he believes it, he knows it, that all things will work together for good. He knows that Judy in Christ is with Christ and that all the things that seemed like the worst ever mean nothing anymore because of the joy that she has. We don't have hope. This is important if you're not a, not a Christ follower and just checking it out. We don't have hope because of wishful thinking. I know that there, there are a lot of people who think, oh, Christianity is like this crutch, the opiate of the masses, as I believe Karl Marx said. Right? We, we believe in it because it helps salve us from the difficult things that we have to do. Bull. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, there's a lot of things that are a lot harder about being a Christ follower. It does not by itself make you all of a sudden happy. Anybody just instantly just, they're just happy. You don't know what to do with yourself. No, right? Christians aren't walking around like, hey, give me an A, give me an A. You know, we're not, we're not little bouncy, happy people all the time right? We have joy. We're serious people. Christianity is not about wishful thinking or blind faith. We have hope because the God who came and took on flesh, historically shown to be the case, came and lived and died and rose again on the third day, historically shown to be the case. That's why we have hope. Because God, the creator of the world, promised us things and then he was raised from the dead, so we know he'll work it out. What else, what else can you ask for? What else could he have done for you but to come? And because he promised us, we can believe it. This is the answer for the Christ follower to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm putting good people in quotations. I haven't met any of them yet. But assuming that there are some, why do bad things happen? But, but why do bad things happen to children, for instance? Why do bad things happen? The answer is there's nothing bad that will not be worked together for good for the called. Nothing bad that will not be worked together for good for the called. So that would include children. That would include those who are uh, weak and who are oppressed by someone. That would include all those people that he will work it together for good. Now, here's the thing. This is transformational. If we could get this in our head, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us right now, today, and like sink this in to our soul, to our heart, it will transform you. It will transform you. It will literally reorganize your soul, your mind, by the Holy Spirit, if you understand this. You have nothing to fear. Listen very carefully. This passage and the connection of it together show us that in being called, when Paul says, I'm called, and you're called in Jesus Christ, and you're called to be saints, and then talks about the called and all things working out for good, that means no matter what happens, you walk out of here and the worst thing in the world happens to you. Right? A lot of people are getting COVID. They're worried about that. They might go to the hospital. They might die. Yep, all true. That may happen to you. 
We may get the worst president or whoever political people in the world. Horrible things might happen. Pain, difficulty, and yet what you know is no matter what happens, he's going to work everything for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. Whatever happens, you do not have to fear it. I'm not saying there's not pain. There's going to be pain. We live in a fallen world. We're, the only reason we're here still is because God's going to use us to call those who are still being rebellious to their calling. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I would rather be with him. But as Paul says, better for you that I stay, right? And each one of you can say, better for you, the rest of us, and those who need to know Jesus, that you stay. And that means pain. But none of that pain is going to last. You are eternal. You are living an everlasting life. You literally can go, I may not be able to pay the bills. I may starve and die. Any number of things may happen to me. But I don't have to be afraid. Because God will work all things together for good. Because we're more than conquerors in Christ. Because there's nothing that can separate us from his love. We're going to get into that, Lord willing, when we get into chapter 8. But I want you to understand this part, this Romans 8, 28 part. You have nothing to fear. If you could lock that in, if you could lock that in, it would transform you. It would transform every time you saw one of these things come up on Facebook that says something that makes you go, oh, I'm worried about what's going to happen in the world. Every time you watch the news and you go, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm worried for my children. I'm worried for, you know, whatever it is. You can just go, whatever happens, whatever happens, God will work all things together for good. For who? The called. Who are the called? Those of you who are in Christ Jesus. It, it, honestly, for me, when I went through this and I, and I, and I started reading through this and, I, and studying this, it was like light bulbs. I've always believed that God will work all things together for good for the called, and so on. I've never sat in the promise in a way that's maybe go, okay, these things that I have that I'm worried about in my life, I don't need to worry about them anymore. It's like a biblical Xanax. <laughs> it is. And it's a lot better. It's a lot better. Nothing can happen. There is nothing that will happen. Nothing can happen. There's nothing that will happen. That God will not work together for good for you if you're among the called. And you know, you know that if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, and you believe, as I do, that God raised him from the dead, you are saved, meaning you are the called. You are the called, referred to here in verses 1, 1, 1, 6, 1, 7, Romans 8, 28. Now listen to what Jesus tells us, because this is important. You got to understand that while it may not all work out today, he has it planned, and it's not a secret. He's told us, listen to this. Revelation 21, 3 through 7. I'm going to find it. We'll see if you find it faster than me. Found it. All right. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
Yeah. Yeah, praise God. There shall be no more pain for the former things, the stuff you're dealing with now, the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, here's Jesus sitting on the throne, okay, said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Look, listen, listen. There is nothing that can happen, the worst things ever, that will not be wiped away in an instant when we are face to face with Jesus Christ. And he says, behold, I make all things new. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I can trust it now, even though I don't see it yet. Because he always does what he's promised. Every prophecy he's ever given has always come true. I read this passage to a woman in the hospital this week. Uh, some of you know Ida Rowe. She's with us for a number of years. Um, body failing, living in her last days, damaged and broken by the sinful world, thin, not much left, not completely uh, mentally all there and able. But we read this scripture together. And as we did, when I read the words of God from the scripture, behold, I make all things new, she gasped with joy and wonder. She goes, oh, silent until that moment. And then that, and you know what she did? She did? She said, can we read it again? Can we read it again? We read the whole passage together three times. And each time she had the same reaction to those words. Behold, I make all things new. I testify to you the power of God to make his children understand in their spirit his goodness. I testify to you that even in the pain and suffering of dying that I have seen saints like Ida, like David, in the fallen world taste hope through their faith of that thing that they know from the scripture that God will work all things together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose and then to put a bow on it on the use of the word called the last place that we see it from the same root the Holy Spirit inspired the words in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29 it says for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable maybe you have the King James version it reads like this for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance and you're like why would God be repenting Repentance is to change the mind. When you repent from your sin, you change the mind. You turn from it. You go a different way. What this is saying, the word is being used to say, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He's not changing his mind. He's not turning away from his promise. He's promised it and it will happen. Your calling is sure. Can't be taken away. It's not going away. I pray that you would live in it every day, but you know what? Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes I fail. But his promise is sure. He will not repent of it. Your gift and your calling, the gift of grace and mercy that he's given you in salvation and your calling, your separation from the world, all of that, that's sure. He's not repenting from, he's not turning from, he's not changing his mind about it. It's yours. Paul tells us in the first verse there that he has been separated to the gospel of God. 
Paul was called, and he was separated. Each of us are called and separated, which is to be separated from the world. Separated from the darkness and the death that we were in to him. This is really important that you understand this. Because if you don't understand that you're separate, you're probably not going to live separate. Right? If you don't get it, you're not going to do it. We who are Christ followers are called and separated. We're not in the world anymore. We're not in the world in that way. Okay? We're certainly not of it. We are already living that eternal life. We're in Christ. It means we live a different life than the world does. A different life. It should look differently. If your life looks like your neighbor's life, you and your neighbor make the same amount of money and you have the same amount of stuff, meaning that you haven't dedicated your treasure to anything more significant than your neighbor has. You watch the same shows. You talk the same way. You do the same stuff. In fact, your neighbor can't tell, wouldn't have ever known that you are a Christ follower, then you're not living like you believe that you're separate and that you're called. We live a different life than the world. We live the life of those who have the Holy Spirit living in us and empowering us and working through us, which I've told you many times, and I will tell you again, I cannot do anything, certainly not what I'm doing right now, without the power of the Holy Spirit holding me up. We live a life of obedience and observing the commands of Jesus. Jesus Christ has commanded us to do certain things, and we're observing those, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. It's out there on the wall. This is the Great Commission. It means we cannot be going around being mistaken for those who are spiritually dead. I want there to be, somebody uses the term, there should be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian. I don't remember who said that. You can look it up. I don't want you mistaken for those who are spiritually dead. I don't want people going, oh, that person's a Christian? I didn't know that. Shouldn't be the way it is. You are separated as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Let's go there, see if I win this time. Bad dang, I got beat. All right, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says this, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you, will, you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You are called to be separate, Separate. Look, it isn't easy to be pee pants boy, okay? I can tell you that. To be separated. And in some ways, that's how the world sees you when you proclaim Christ. They don't see it as, ooh, that's a great thing. Some do, maybe in their heart, but it's not uncommon for you to experience something different. The world will treat you like you're separate in a negative way. If you live like you're separate, and if they do, that is the badge that sets you apart. Their hate for you, their persecution of you, that's how you know if none of that's happening. If nobody is looking at you and going, I don't like what that person is all about. 
you got a problem. I'm not talking about because you're a jerk. That's a different issue. <laughs> I'm talking because they see Jesus in you. And they don't like, they don't like what Jesus is bringing, which is a demand for their allegiance, for them to surrender their life. And they don't want to do that. And so they don't like you because of it. We're, look, it's, I understand, having been pee pants boy, I understand that you want to fit in. What is, what is most of school? Other than like, please, Lord, let me just not be noticed. Let me fit in with the crowd. I struggle with that as a kid. I had a hard time with really wanting to fit in, really not wanting to, you know, be noticed, to be separated. If I was going to be separated, I wanted to be, the only thing I really had going was I was the best looking. No, I'm kidding. I was not. I was not. I was not. I was not. Yeah, don't laugh so hard. Um, it's a school of three. No, I a, no, honestly, I didn't want to be noticed. I wanted to fit in to the world. I didn't want to be noticed. That's a strong thing that we want to fit in. Let me just tell you something. Don't. Don't. Don't fit in. When you're at work, be the oddball. I'm not, I'm not asking you to act like a, a weirdo. Okay? Some of you do that. I don't have to ask you at all. But that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be separate. There needs to be something different about you that is marked by the fact that you're a Christ follower. James 4.4 says this, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You got to get this. You got to get this every time that's like, I don't really want to rock the boat. I don't really want to make it known that I'm a Christ follower. I don't really want to do the things that Christ followers do, which is say, no, I don't want to hear that joke. No, I don't want to see that image or that video on your phone. No, I don't want to do this thing. Yes, I do want to talk about Jesus. Yes, I do want to invite you to church. And for them to go, you're different, separate, called to something that I don't feel called to. And you go, but he's calling you. How else are you going to say it? How else are you going to say it? If you're a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. You've got to know who you are and what he's promised you. All this stuff that he's promised you. Don't look, that, don't look at that and either ignore it or take it for granted. It is the thing that separates you that you have no fear. That you have hope. If you're not separate and you're not going to live your calling to be separate, what exactly is it that you have to offer the world who's walking in darkness and sin if you want to walk around like them so they don't call you pee pants boy, so they don't call you Christian, religious fanatic, whatever it is, Jesus freak. Oh, they call you a name? I'm sorry, but that's your crown. <laughs> What do you have to offer the world if an unbelieving person looks at you and does not see the separateness? If you don't act like the called and you try to live like them, why would they be drawn to Jesus Christ? They already know they're a disaster. You aren't showing them that Christianity has anything else to offer them if you walk around just as fearful as them, just as worried about money as them, just as immoral as them. We've got a lot of people out there, naming the name of Christ, who you cannot tell the difference between them and the world and the choices that they make. Don't let that be you. 
You've got to be peculiar. Y'all are peculiar. That's a good thing. You've got to be peculiar to the world. You've got to be yourself. And you know who yourself is if you're in Christ? A Christian, a Christ follower. People have to look at you and be like, I just don't get her. I just don't get him. That's where we get to come in and say, let me show you how to get it. If you can get me, you can get Christ because that's who I'm trying to be like. They have to look at your priorities, at your fearlessness, at your joy, at your hope, and they got to think, what's going on with this person? I'm struggling over here. And even when things happen that are difficult, the kind of things that would send me to the, to the ground, this person is still standing. What is that rock they're standing on? That's part of being separate. It has to be noticed. Some of them are going to persecute you, okay? That's the way it is. They're going to try to make you feel like an outcast. There are, there are jobs right now in the world that I just could not have. I could not have them. There's a lot of them now. There used to just be a few. Like certain, like being a college professor in certain uh, areas of study, no way with the things I've said and written and, and done about who Jesus is, about what he commands us to do, there is no way that I would ever be hired for those things. Now, it's even more. I don't know that I could get hired. I mean, I'm not very good at anything. So that's part of the thing, right? But no, I, I don't know. There's, it'd be hard for me to get hired almost anywhere. Because I'm not going to be quiet about what's true. Now, some of you, I'm not saying go to your job and get fired because like, you know, you, you got to work and you got to do, do a good job for those who employ you. Um, it's about the life that you live. It's about the opportunities that you take. I'm not saying go to work and break all the rules and start, you know, having a preaching in the middle of work or whatever. But you know what? You have interactions a thousand times a day where you could show your separateness. World's not going to love you guys. They're going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. Let me tell you the good news about that. John 15, 17 through 21. These things I command you that you love one another. That's what defines us, right? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and the world, the world would love its own. So if you were of the world, they'd love you. If they do love you, you might want to check how much you look like them. The world would love its own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant, that's what we are, servants of Christ, is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. They didn't, so they won't with us. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And that's what we want them to know. We want them to know him who sent Jesus. Even when they persecute you, even when it's difficult, even when you lose friends or family members, or you're the one at work that's treated like pee pants boy. You're the one over there, I don't want to deal with her. She's got that Jesus thing. She makes me feel uncomfortable. He makes me feel uncomfortable because of the Jesus thing. Okay, guys? I don't, if people are saying, you're like, well, I make women uncomfortable all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Don't do that. If that defines your life, trust me, at the end of that are people coming to Jesus. Because when they go through it, who are they coming to? The people that are just like them that don't know any better than them? 
or the person over there that shows that they have joy, fearlessness, priorities that make sense. This is so important, what we're talking about being called and separated. Out of the gate, Paul talks about it, about his own calling and ours. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to connect that calling of God's promises to every Christ follower. How do you do it, though? First, you have to believe that it's true. There's so many things that we hear and we kind of believe like, I think there are levels of what we believe. You got to believe it, like get it in your heart, like let it transform you. Because it's when you believe that you do. When you don't do, it's a real question whether you believe. If you believe, you will do. Believe, do. As Dr. David often says, you have to believe what God has said and commanded for you. And you got to want it. You got to want it. You got to want to be separate. You got to want to be called. You are. It takes faith to believe, okay? And especially when you're suffering, especially when you can't see, when you're going through it, and you're like, okay, you say you work all things together for good, but I sure feel bad. I'm sure dealing with tough stuff. That's the moment when you got to go with faith. Roman, or, sorry, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If it was right in front of you, you could see it. If it was already fixed, you wouldn't have to have any faith. Faith comes because not everything is going to be fixed, because the world is broken and fallen, because you and me are sinners and have broken it. But he's redeemed us. But we're still here until he takes us there. And while we're here, we have to believe that when the bad things happen, that he's going to work them all together for good. That the promise that he's made, that the calling that he's given you is sure and irrevocable. You've got to walk through those times like that. We have to hope and believe, not because we see how things will work together, although I just read you how they ultimately will. Jesus will make all things new. Not because we see it but because we know that God will work all things together for good for those who are the called. Those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. We have hope and we believe because we know it. You gotta know it. You gotta know it. And how do I know? Because he himself suffered. Because he showed me. There's nothing that Christ is asking me to do that he has not showed me. He didn't have to suffer anything. He's the creator of the universe, but he came down and took on flesh. He was a man and suffered and did it. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he believed it because he knew it. And then God raised him from the dead. And that's the end of the story in terms of whether we can trust him. It's eleven I'm going to wrap it up. I got like four more pages, but we're going to wrap it up. Listen. It, it is, I, I want the Lord to change our hearts. I want the Lord to get in our hearts and plant there, brand there, tattoo. Like my brother Tim back there with the tattoos all over his self. He's got a lot of them. I've got some too, but I'm not going to show them to you. Um, I want a tattoo to my heart that God has promised the called and that I'm the called. I want to plan in my heart that I'm separate. I want to plan it in my heart that God works all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. And that that promise, that the gift of salvation, that our calling is irrevocable, 
It cannot change. He will not change his mind. And I want to walk every day, everything that happens, because I walk through life and things happen and I'm worried about them. I'm going, what's going on with this world? And instead of being like, what's going on with this world? God's going to make it all new. That's what's going on with this world. But it's got to go the way it's got to go. And all I have to do is trust he's going to work it all together. Because I know I'm called. Now, if you don't know that you're the called, if you've never trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, that's a different issue, my friends. And that's what we're here for. Because look, if it's not for you all who don't know Jesus, that we want you to know Jesus and grow in him, honestly, it'd be better for him to just take us now. It's way better with him in so many ways. You know, the whole no pain thing, I like that. The older I get, the more I like it. The more I like it. If you don't know Jesus, you are one belief and confession away from being the call with all of these promises. That's it. If you confess the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is going to be Lord of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved, called, holy, a saint, promised as one who now loves God, that all things will work together for good for you because you're the called, and that promise is irrevocable. That's all, that's all for you. That's all for you. You've been walking around this world. How's it working out for you? My guess is that God has called you to be listening to this today. Whether it's online, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's 10 years from now that somebody's listening to this. Listening to this is God calling you to be the called. If you don't know him, today's the day. Today's the day. For those of you who are already in him, man, let's walk with our chin up and our heart out. Because to the world, we're, we're here. We're, we're all they've got, guys. We're Christ's body to the world. We're all they've got. We got to be separate. We got to show them. There's no more, there's no more playing. There's no more, uh, hey, this is basically a Christian culture and we can all kind of just do our thing and expect that everybody's kind of on the same page. That's over, guys. Christendom is over. Now it's time to show who we really are the separate and the cult. I want you to think about that as you walk through the week. What does it look like to be separate? In what ways in your life are you not showing any kind of separateness at all? In what ways in your life is God calling you to show that you're the called among those who you could be ministering to? Time is short. I don't care if it's, I mean, I do care, but if it's the rapture tomorrow or 10 years from now, or if it's death slow and long, your time is short. The life of a man or a woman is a breath. What are you going to do with what he's given you? He's separated you to the gospel. He's called you. Paul is clear. And he's promised you that you can go do the whole thing, that great commission on the wall, that whole thing you can go do, and you never have to worry that anything that happens will not be worked together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. What else do you need? What more do you need to walk through life than to know, A, that you have a calling and a purpose, that you're separate, and that you're promised that no matter what happens, no matter how bad it seems, it's going to all work out. What more do you need to go forward and do the thing? What more do I need? We need to repent of any place where we're not doing it. We need to walk forward. Let's pray.